Nobody knows what's going on when we watch the Olympics. We just turn on our TVs and become obsessed with sports we haven't thought about in four years. This is why we made the Ringer Guide to the Summer Games. I'm your host, Roger Sherman. Each day during the Tokyo Olympics, I'll tell you about a different sport, athlete, or storyline. We'll be releasing new episodes every day starting July 19th. Follow along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you know exactly how to watch the Olympics. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com as well as the Ringer Podcast Network where we wrapped up What If the Len Bias Story, a narrative podcast that we put on the Book of Basketball feed. We also launched the trailer for a new podcast about Siskel and Ebert. It is called Gene and Roger, um, one of the most influential pop culture combos of the last 40 years. You can find that trailer on the big picture feed. You can find Ryan Rosillo's podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network as well. Coming up, we're going to talk about game four of the NBA Finals and a whole bunch more. First, Pearl Jam. All right, Rosillo is in here. He's wearing his I am going to defend Chris Paul to the death t-shirt. Oh, no, that's not what it is. But you have that look on your face. It's, it was yet another terrible last three minutes of the game for Chris Paul. Add it to the Pantheon. He's a Hall of Famer, but he's clearly hurt. I don't know if we should start there, but we should at least mention there's something really wrong with him. And if you look at the game tonight, the Bucks come back. They win by six. The series is tied 2-2. And the Suns... They get this monster game from Booker, who played 39 minutes, was in foul trouble, but still got to 42 points. And really nobody else does much. Crowder has 15. Chris Paul is 10. Aiton is 6. Cam Johnson is 10. But it's like, if I'm a Suns fan, I'm now terrified. Because if I don't have a healthy Chris Paul, I have one scorer that I completely trust. And this is now a best two of three. First question, did Chris Paul seem healthy to you? Because I say no. No, but we can't start there. We just can't. I mean, I've had people Why? checking in on me. I just don't think we can because I, I'm. I feel like it's disrespectful the fact that Bucks even series. But it's your podcast, so we can start wherever we want. The funny thing is, I'm. But that's actually the biggest story of the game, team. though. Here's here's the deal. Um, he sucked. I, it, the first half, I'm like, okay, is he feeling people out? And then the third quarter, I'm going, all right, he's got to wake up. 
And then, you know, Pat Connaughton made that first big three. The big three hit later with three minutes left. Then he made that one that hit above the backboard. And I was watching Paul grab his wrist. And here's what I would ask. Like, he sucked. So I'm not defending him. Everybody's checking in with me and everybody's expecting me to kind of, and this is going to sound like because I like him, I'm making an excuse. Yeah. Why can't he dribble in game four? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And there were key possessions where campaign was in. He actually was decent again after having the worst plus minus for any rotation guy through the first three games. But Paul was waving pain to initiate the offense and he was standing in the corner. So either he totally choked and didn't even want to have any, anything to do with the possessions or there's also something wrong. But look, he sucked. I can't defend it. But it sounds like an excuse if we're like, why could he also not dribble all of a sudden tonight? Because that's weird. My thing is, is an injury affecting how somebody plays? And this is one of the best ball handlers, you know, in recent NBA history. And it didn't seem like he could handle the ball at the level that he used to be able to handle it. And it really hurt them a couple of times down the stretch. And the reason I think it's an important storyline is the Suns team now you know, they played eight guys tonight. Torrey Craig played 15 minutes, but they lost Sarich. You know, relying on campaign, who was pretty good tonight, 17 minutes, nine points. But, you know, they're really going to have to lean on him if Chris isn't healthy. And then you look at the other side with the Bucks. Well, if Chris isn't healthy, healthy. If he's going to play like this again, the series is over. Well, do you think he has, I mean, we, are we going to find out after that he has torn ligaments in his left hand or that he has some sort of severe injury? Because I today, leaving this game tonight, I thought to myself, I actually think he's legitimately hurt and they're not telling us. I mean, we might find out something, but to like what magnitude? Because he still looked pretty good throughout the series. So did it happen recently? Did it happen? Because I thought he got hit in the Clippers series and he had yeah. to tape himself up, but then he still played well. So, you know, I don't, if somebody's hurt, that's fine. Um, but I don't always, when they play poorly, want to say, okay, well, they're only playing. Because that's what happens a ton, too. We did that for years. All of a sudden, somebody would be terrible at the end of a closing playoff game. And you'd be like, oh, he's tired. Like, he wasn't tired in game five. Like, Golden right. State went for 73 wins. And then they lose a 3-1 lead. And people are like, yeah, they got tired. And like, well, they weren't tired when they were up 3-1 against the Cavs. So Killing won, them. Right. So if they'd won 68 regular season games, they would have won games five, six, or seven. Like, that's stupid. So it feels like excuse making. I would just simply ask this. Why can he not dribble now all of a sudden? Whether he fell down, he was bobbling the ball the entire night and he just didn't look comfortable. And then to have him be like, no, campaign, you go ahead and start the, the offense and I'll, st I'll stick myself in the corner. I'm watching it going, okay, what, what is going on? Like, is the moment too big for him? Or does he yeah. know, like, it's just not happening? Because, you know, maybe the arguments that the moment was too big for him, which feels really weird because he's had absolutely, like, legacy-defining moments throughout the playoffs. Well, if you're not feeling right, and it is a big moment, those two things together can hurt. But five turnovers tonight, and just didn't seem right. I think I actually think this is a game where if Booker doesn't do what he does, they they could potentially lose by 20 because he was the only guy that could get going. But you talk about the great game fours in the finals. Game four is always a fun one, right? And we go back to 2016. You mentioned Warriors, Cavs, 2011, Mavs Heat, 2008 was that Celtics comeback game. 2000 was the Shaq fouls out. Kobe and OT kind of becomes Kobe for the first time. 93, MJ against the Suns. 87 was the junior skyhook and the most devastating miss of my entire life. Bird missing the three in the corner by uh, a split second. 85, DJ made a game winner. 84 was the famous Bird versus Magic OT game, which swung that series. 1980 was Kareem's, I think, greatest finals moment when Sprains' ankle comes back 
Was that game four? Or game? No, I'm screwing that up. Uh, that was actually game five, my bad. Um, but game fours, I don't know if this got there. I don't know historically if we'll be talking about, you know, oh yeah, and then 2021. But it had some really great stretches. The Booker third quarter was outrageous. I mean, that was really like, I, I was just, I, we could, you talk and then I'll go after you. But like, I was thinking about him with the heat check guards on big stages and something historically I felt like was happening. And then the foul trouble derailed it, but it seemed like he was on pace for what? You would have said easy 50, right? He was making every kind of shot. Yeah, he had 20 at the half. He had 18 in the third quarter. Uh, the foul trouble. We'll get the the phantom. Oh my <laughs> like god! The, the no call when he was actually trying to take the foul, which actually is worse that Booker and was fouled trying him twice. To foul. Right, fouled and him, then he, and then he fouled him a second time on the same play. And they don't, they actually had another foul they didn't call on him yep. later. But now the game had kind of run. Like the weird thing about Booker is because coming into this, you're like, okay, if if Phoenix goes up three one, you imagine Booker's going to respond at some point. Because he was so bad in Game Three. I mean, he was he was terrible in Game Three. He hasn't shot over thirty four percent in any playoff round so far. Yeah. And so on the high end of Booker, like a night like tonight, where you know guys are comparing to Kobe. You even talked about his shot making, which I thought was a little aggressive in stating where he is among NBA shot makers. But then he has the kind of night tonight where he was absolutely carrying him. Like nobody else had double figures until very late in the game because again, Paul was terrible. Yeah. Never going to go to eight and enough. Bridges can be zero points or 18 points. Um, Crowder's been steadier, even though he missed the first couple shots. I thought he really gave him something and then hitting those free throws there again late. So honestly, like I wouldn't call it a great game. There's one stat in particular that means everything. Milwaukee had 34 extra chances in comparison to Phoenix's. They had 12 less turnovers, so they're plus 12, and then 12 more offensive rebounds. So despite the shooting numbers, and some of the offense that they got away from, which I want to get to a little bit later, because finally we saw that Giannis Middleton two-man game, which basically was unstoppable at the end, and Middleton was great. The Giannis block on Ayton is the play from this game. Like, if Milwaukee comes back and wins an NBA championship, I think Giannis's block on Ayton, where his back is to Ayton, he turns, it's clean at the rim, no foul. That, to me, is like the image of this series if Milwaukee wins a title. And he even got the Breen... Blocked by Antetokounmpo. He, right. he went to that uh, LeBron 2016 thing. Yeah, look, Mark Jackson keeps calling Booker a superstar in this series. And to me, superstar is reserved for a very, very small list of, of players. And one of the, the biggest quality, I think, if you're an actual superstar is even if you're not having a great game, you're still impacting it in all these different ways. Like your version of an average game is as good as anybody else's game. And I think why Booker's a star, and you saw it tonight, but he also has games like game three where he disappears. There's a consistency that he just doesn't have, and he was magnificent tonight. Giannis didn't really have it tonight. Still finished with uh, 26 and 14, eight assists. Well, he should have more assists. They missed a bunch of open threes that he was created for people, and he had the two biggest blocks of the game. And as you said, his block on Aiton was the defining play of this game. And I just thought over and over again, he was doing positive stuff, positive things. There was even some really kind of high level, high IQ stuff where he was getting rid of the ball when he was getting fouled. Instead of shooting it, he was turning them into passes last second so he wouldn't have to go to the free throw line. Did you notice that? He did that at least twice. Then there was another time when he got rid of the ball right as they were about to foul him. But I thought really high end game from him. But the, the Booker thing, 
I, I stand by the shot making thing. You saw it tonight. He made like 10 different types of shots in this game. You had him ahead of bankers. I just couldn't accept it. Followaways. What about that play when Holiday was like, all right, fuck this. This guy's not scoring anymore in the third quarter and basically climbed in his jersey. And Booker did, he was at the foul line. He was doing this herky-jerky Earl Monroe, turning, turning, turning. And then finally, Holiday never left. And he still made this shot with Holiday basically like hanging all over him. I thought it was, that seven for seven in the third quarter was all-time stuff. I mean, this is the biggest stage we have, you know? And the rub for him is, can he do it more consistently? That's the difference between star, superstar. I think tonight he would have had 50 plus. And I do think those fouls, you know, you got to figure out a way to stay on the court when you're that hot. He fouled out and they just didn't call it. You know how they have for NFL, like, you know, it started with quarterback camps out here in California. Like all the QBs come out here to work out now in the LA area, you know, the OC, maybe even San Diego, but the entire coast down, it feels like quarterbacks come out here. So then the receivers are like, well, we need to do this. And then I think the Titans yeah. did it in Nashville. Um, then the O-line guys got together this past week. There needs to be do you take bad fouls in your really good player camp for NBA guys? Because <laughs> the number of fouls that guys just waste for the clear path one that he could have been called for, like it's just never worth it. Like it's early what about in the, the game. What about the foul and the rebound when he knocks somebody into the basket support? And then uh, I actually thought Tucker, that was, eh. I, that was a tough call. But honestly, between Tucker and Crowder and everybody falling down all over the place, you know, it kind of evens out. But if you're a Bucks fan, if you had lost this game tonight and Booker doesn't get the sixth foul there where he's trying to take it, which again is the more egregious thing that it was such an idiotic decision <laughs> and, yeah. and it not to even be called. Um, it felt like Milwaukee was the right team to win this tonight. And I'd also say back to like the Drew Holiday thing because he just can't shoot consistently enough and it's been constantly disappointing. His yeah. defense is wearing Chris Paul down. So yeah. I don't know if we're going to find out about something else, but when Drew picks him up like that and then Tucker is chasing him and then Tucker's making Chris Paul have to find him, you know what I mean? Like there's there's some plays in there where I think it's physically taxing on Paul. Maybe that's part of the equation of this. Like, there was a huge offensive rebound by Drew Holiday underneath the basket, and and Paul just wasn't ready to, to box him out properly, and Drew got a huge offensive rebound. Tucker makes him fight him for rebounds because Tucker doesn't give him anything, even though Tucker, you know, the stat line, you'd look at it and be like, what did he bring tonight? So I think Drew's tenacity has picked up dramatically since points of Game 2, and even though he can't shoot it, he was good in Game 3. Uh, that's, I think, a big part of slowing down the perimeter stuff for Phoenix getting set up. Well, and some miles on Paul these last three rounds, too. This is somebody who's been in the 30 to 32 range in but the regular season. At half at halftime, eight players had played more minutes than him. And when they brought him back in, he was at like 24 minutes. So they paced him, and we got like three days off here. So that's, so that's, the, that's you know, the flip side, right? But he's still playing. He's been playing 37, 38, 39 minutes a game now for five weeks so if he's not hurt that's the only other reason i can it's think not enough that he choked tonight yeah it's not enough for me if it then if it's that then it's all on him um until you know we if we were to ever find out something about the wrist but i'm not going to accept like when you have three days off i don't yeah you can't just be like hey now i'm tired at game four i don't know i just don't accept that one as much i might be wrong i was thinking about heat check guards on this stage how many in history and actually went through as Booker was doing his thing. Cause obviously you have MJ and Kobe. I think Reggie could have had a game like, like the game Booker was headed for Jerry West, Hondo, Dwayne Wade, even though maybe not the same kind of three point range, but he's in there. Absolutely. I think, I think Andrew yeah. Tony's in there. Nice. Um, and Sam Jones. 
And then maybe Joe Dumars. Joe Dumars had a couple moments on big stages where he would just be complete. He wouldn't do it for four quarters, but he would do it for like a quarter and a half where you would be like, wow, why doesn't this guy average 35 a game? That's really it. The two guard position, um, it's it's not exactly loaded with guys who could do this. I mean, you, ha- you could have like the clay type of heat check, but not. I'm talking about shot making. This is why I love Tony. I ride for Andrew Tony. He had a five-year stretch there where he was just unstoppable. And it was, it was 20 footers, 15 footers going to the basket. And you, you just kind of couldn't handle him. And Booker reminded me of Andrew Tony tonight. They, I know he gets compared to Kobe because Mark Jackson loves the, and Kobe Bryant told him be legendary. And that's what he's doing tonight. I know that everyone loves that story, but he doesn't play like Kobe Bryant. To me, he plays way more like Andrew Tony. Um, yeah, I mean, Chuck Knobloch told me to fuck off one night too, but I don't get to like put that on my shoes. So, you know, like there's just, <laughs> there's so many, like we've really pushed the limits of, of what, you know, some of these stories are. Hey, should you have thrown Manu in there? I'm just trying. Yeah. Often t- I love that you put Dumars in there. I love that you put the Boston yeah, Strangler think, in there. You know, Manu had, he had a couple of runs in the two thousands. I don't think he could do it for a whole game, but definitely a half. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I'm looking, at, I'm looking at one of the Dallas series here. And he, I'm going to add you know, him. I'll add him. I, I, I'm just, I like I'm it. not, I'm not messing with your history. I, I know, I know the, what tier you're at, what tier I'm at. When we're talking historical. No, I think Mano's a good call. I'm yeah. just, I'm just happy. I got uh Andrew Tony in there because I do feel like he's been slept on completely. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Chris Middleton, 40 points, 24 in the second half. And this is another one, right? He's a star. He can have these nights where he can win a half for you. I don't think he can do all four quarters, but he can win you a half and he can get confident. He could get locked in. I thought in this series, I thought he was having a lot of trouble getting going against Bridges and then Cam Johnson would come in and there was always like Crowder, long guys to throw at him. And he was kind of having trouble getting this. And then they finally unlocked it tonight with that little Giannis screen. I, I, I'm surprised the Giannis screen worked as well as it did. I don't know if the Suns were like, we're getting tired at the end, but it seemed like really easy points. What's interesting about the 40 that he had, it felt like he was missing some makeable shots a little earlier in the game. Like if you go back and you watch the tape, I bet he missed like five 15 footers that were like, you know, seemed like layups for him in the fourth quarter. Um, hot game for him. Start of something that they can take into the the last Three here, is this just just who he is, where he can have a shitty game one night, really good half the next thing? Because to me, he just, this just kind of seemed, that it's the ebb and flow. He's like the ocean. I thought it was so good tonight because they, they needed it. Because Giannis, you know, he took his first shot like eight minutes into the game, and it was, yeah. um, it was a, he had a layup in transition, and then he had the dunk put back, and he took two threes. That was his first quarter shot attempt thing. And then we also continue this trend of Giannis, like apparently just hyperventilates to the point where he has to come out after a couple minutes. And Jared Greenberg at TNT, when they were doing a previous game, I think it was against Brooklyn, like he tweeted out, 
hey, Giannis is like leaving the game. He's exhausted. And I'll admit, like I saw the tweet. I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm sure he'll be fine. And then he was on it early. He's like, no, I'm here at the game. And it's weird. And now this is happening where he has to sub himself out. And I think there's a weird part of it where offensively, it's same as like Booker when he is in foul trouble and he's out. It's not like automatically like, hey, here's the ball back. Fix everything. You know, there's a flow to this stuff. So I just thought that in the times where you wanted more from Giannis, Middleton carried him. He really carried him to close. There was so much room for him on that shot. He's got to hit those shots. He had one of that big jumper kind of going left to right. That was that was huge. Mm. And you're right. Like, I mean, he's 15 to 33. There was a stretch before he had some of those makes late. where you are like, all right, he's putting up numbers, but he's not necessarily shooting that great. But I think it's a bigger point, Bill. Like, that's why I always say there's probably six guys. Maybe it's seven. Everybody's list is probably a little bit different. But, you know, we give LeBron shit or we give Kawhi shit. And it's like, actually, these guys are like 30 every playoff game, no matter what. Like, and it's just... Do you have the closing moments? And tonight, Middleton played like one of those guys, but I'm not going to be shocked if he ends up with 14 on 6 of 20 in one of the games either. Well, it's why Anthony Davis, who has superstar talent, I don't really consider him a superstar either because I don't know if he can Did you say together. that last year? Well, he had the moments, right? He had right. the series where he looked good, but then the previous series, you're wondering what's going on with him. And, you know, he, he showed he can do it for a couple of rounds in a row but I still don't trust him. Giannis seems like no matter how he's shooting, no matter how he's feeling, he's going to impact the game. And I think that's the last level for a superstar. I think Durant's there. I think LeBron's there. I think Kawhi's there when he's healthy. Um, Dame and Curry are probably there. You know, they'll have games where they just miss everything, but that, I think that's just the nature of their jobs. But the list is less than 10, is my point. It's and then, less than 10. Yeah. It's less than 10, absolutely. And that's why, like, when, you know, we have the draft coming up, and I'll just read draft comps, and it's like the 14th pick, and they're going, you know, reminds me a little of Luca. And you're like, Jesus. Like, Luca's you know, another like, one. Right. But Luca's another one you need to add because, I mean, it's not the playoff success, but the <laughs> he'll resume get his of games. Yeah. He'll his get his num numbers. If Luca gets 30, it feels like a disappointment. Now. Right. <laughs> and he'll get his 10 assists. He'll get all the stuff. Right. And to me, it's like, this is the next step for Tatum, right? He's at that Devin, same Devin Booker level where, he can do it. He can look like a superstar on the night, but it's the consistency. And it's also like, how do I affect the game when I don't totally have it? And that's what's been, to me, the three honest games in a row are also impressive for different reasons. Like he, he we talked about it in this pod after game three, like so overpowering in game three. And just like this, one of the all time, I'm just going to destroy you. Like I'm in a Tarantino movie type of physicality, the whole thing. And today he didn't have that, but he still figured out how to pick his spots, how to do some stuff. I think his playmaking has been really good. And, the you know, Holiday was four for 20 in this game, and it felt like Giannis set up at least seven or eight of those, and, and Holiday just couldn't make anything. Um, but to win a game at home when Holiday goes four for 20 is kind of amazing in itself, right? Yeah, it's all those extra chances. I mean, you know, I felt like I listened to you in KOC after game three, and I was in the car being like, okay, like this Giannis run is incredible. But Aiton played 24 minutes in game three. There was a massive mm. rebound disparity. You know, in game two, when he went crazy in the third quarter, he hit a million free throws and he hit his free throws. And like, so I'm like, all right, so now he's making free throws and now Aiton isn't even out there. So then you add in the fact that Aiton played. It wasn't a foul trouble issue. Aiton was a monster on the boards. Yeah. You know, they did a good job, I think, trying to figure out different ways to keep it fresh against Giannis. Um, I've, I've, look, whatever my level of being impressed with Giannis was and it was very high it's at another level win or lose the NBA yep. finals but the fact that you have a shot maker 
in Middleton. I mean, basically, it was like two. The be- you know how it always comes down is like the best two players for Milwaukee were just way better. Like, who's even the second best player for Phoenix tonight? I guess it'd be Aiton because of the rebounds. A little, little Jay Crowder, couple things. Nobody okay, gets so poked again, in the face better than Jay Crowder. He gets poked in the face twice a game. It goes like, down like he's Mr. Fuji. I would like a Judge Judy episode with Jay Crowder and and PJ Tucker as the plaintiff and defendant. <laughs> and then campaign comes in as a as a witness. And I would just Judge Judy just like, I don't believe anybody. <laughs> yeah, just just leave my courtroom. Uh I have some things to throw at you. So PJ Tucker. Are we sure he's good? <laughs> You've been on this for a bit. What? The stats What's are not good. What's good about him? One Wait, miss so three. When he gets locked up against Devin Booker or whatever, it's like, oh, he's guarding Devin Booker. And then Devin Booker just goes right by him. Like yeah. guys have, Durant just did whatever he wanted against him. And then on the other end, he just stands in the corner. You don't have to guard him. He took one wide open three that was at a huge part in the second half, bricked it. He had zero points. Zero points, five rebounds in 29 minutes. He had five fouls. Three of them were really bad fouls, by the way. Um, and I, it's just kind of amazing to me that the Bucks. it's 2-2 in the finals. They have no bench. I mean, Jeff Teague, again, played 11 minutes today. You're not going to believe this, but he didn't have a field goal. You have Portis was one for six. <laughs> Connaughton goes four for nine. It feels like a fucking miracle. He had nine rebounds. Like, oh my God, they got something from a bench guy. And nobody else played. It's like, I, I just can't believe they have a chance to basically win the title with four and a half guys. Okay, I think the, the problem, like, you're right, but you have to add the other part of it because Phoenix is basically playing seven guys they like. And the seventh is Torrey Craig. Payne finally was good tonight. He's had the worst plus minus basically in every game of major rotation players. Like, he had that nice game against the Clippers and then it felt like every night he made a layup, the announcers would be like, campaign is meant all aboard the pain train. And you're like, he's, yeah, settle he's down. scary. If I'm a Suns fan, I'm scared to death every time he has the basketball, which again makes the Chris Paul decision to be like, no, you've got this. Well, like, you also, I, almost, I oh. never think his, I never think his threes are going in, do you? Ever. When campaign's ever. laying up, I'm like, that's a brick. Rebound. Torrey Craig had a rebound where Payne was wide open at the left, uh, left break, all right? And it was it was in the first half. And Craig like had it and Payne was so wide open. I almost like my my eyes told me Craig's like, I guess I gotta pass it to you. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> he got it like was a little slow with it. Yeah. But it was uh, the right, right basketball play. And he's like, All right, this is gonna Damn break. It. It's gonna break the rim. And he and he but look, he he made some buckets for him because Paul was so bad tonight. They they needed anything they could get out of him. But I think the Bucks rotation, you're right. It's not like Phoenix's rotation is more than seven guys they even trust. Well, and I don't trust... Uh, Mikael Bridges on the road, two straight games, just looked like a young guy who's going to be way better in a home playoff game than he is in a road playoff game. Uh, Cam Johnson has has been a little more chest hairy in these games, but those guys, that Phoenix is just better at home. And if Chris is healthy, I agree with you. I think the Sun should... Probably win game five. This is what the finals is supposed to be. Home team's supposed to win the first two. We're supposed to go back to the other other team's place. They're supposed to win two, and we're supposed to go to game five. So that's what And as we know, you know, I love it when a guy comes on and says, the series does not start. Mm. It's it's one of the worst cliches. I think Bill Parcells said it, and everybody just repeated it. It's funny to say, though. I I love saying it with the sarcastic, (laughs) you know, Ryan, as you know. 
but the series doesn't start until the home team loses. You know, so like so parts- if the home team wins every game, the series never started. <laughs> like I remember, like Parcells was so good so early, and he had this this Bon Jovi slash Tony Soprano personality. And everybody would just repeat what he said all the time. And I remember he'd be like, yeah, you take the wrong quarterback. It sets you back 10 years. And you're like, 10? 10 years? Yeah, ten, yeah maybe like two. <laughs> 10 seems long. <laughs> and so anyway, I don't know. That's one of those deals where I think people repeat this stuff so much. You're like, wait, does the series really only start when that happens? Because this, feel, this feels like it started. <laughs> I'm good Chris Ryan's been on this. I'm good with the shot of everybody outside of the stadium cheering wildly. I'm just good. It's great. I'm glad fans can gather again, but I I don't really care. Just show me the where, basketball game. Where are you on the two 60-second segments for the halftime show? So, what do you mean 60? Where do you get 60? I actually did some of the math today. The, the first segment of the halftime show is 65 seconds. I Brian Curtis confirmed for me. Then the second segment, the Oculus segment, was forty. Man, so I get, combined I was, it was less than two, less than two minutes combined. It's impossible. You did that show. Do you know how hard it is to be like, "Hey, everybody, we've got 60. It gets cut off. Somebody's talking, and it gets cut off every game. I here's how I would describe a studio show for the people at home. If you want to know what it's like, go to dinner with three friends, sit down, take turns talking for three minutes. And then have the waiter come over for the next six, have the waiter leave, talk again for two and a half minutes, then have the waiter come back and and just repeat this for a half hour where you have 11 minutes of talking where all of you just take turns to talk and then ask yourself after that half hour whether it was a good conversation or not, because I guarantee you'll say no. We should try this at Manhattan Beach with you, me, and two of the uh, LA Kings from the 2014 Cup team. You, me, Matt Green, and Jared Stoll. We'll just sit around. And we'll do it. We'll do. We'll try to see if we can have a real conversation in three and a half minutes where nobody's allowed to have banter back and forth. Yeah, but Stoll is from Canada, so he's just going to be nice and he he won't care. A lot of and nodding. Then, he won't right. care if he leads the segment. And then Matt Green's like <laughs> arguably even as nice as Stoll is. Yeah. So they'd probably just watch you and I, and then one of them be like, "You guys get paid for this?" Yeah, I can't believe it. What's going on here? Uh, it's halftime presented by Oculus. Um, Giannis and Chris Weber, 2002. I just want to do a little compare and contrast. Ready? Wow. Okay. Yeah, hold I'm on. Ready. I'm going to, I'm going to land this plane. I know I, I started out, started out rocking. I'm going to land it. Um, Giannis was doing the thing where he was, he had the ball at the top and he, all he wanted to do is kind of feed Chris Middleton, right? He did, was doing the 25 feet from the hoop. A lot of like handoff screens, stuff like that. Didn't By design, really want to I shoot think. himself. Right. Yeah. The difference between him and C-Web, and I don't feel like C-Web gets enough credit for just how terrified he was in the 2002 Kings-Lakers series and some of those games, was he, he actually just wanted to get rid of the ball. He was doing those handoffs because he was so terrified he was either going to get fouled or going to have to make a play. And he just didn't want to be the GOAT. He was like, please, Mike, baby, take this. Giannis was doing the 2002 C-Web but his brain was also calculating the possibilities of as soon as anything happens, I'm rolling the basket with my hands up. I'm doing something like he was active, but he wasn't a threat from 25 feet. And I think if you ever see those Kings Lakers games from O2 and you watch how they use C-Web, it's very similar to the honest stuff with the exception of C-Web didn't, 
his brain wasn't working that way. He kind of didn't want to be in the action, which is why it was so funny to hear him announce when he would criticize these different guys for where's so-and-so. And it's like, I, we asked that your whole career. So you're a good guy to ask the question. But anyway, I had to mention that. I think to, to be the, I don't really want to shoot guy in the last three minutes, but still be able to be offensively impactful was pretty, it's a pretty hard plane to land. I thought he landed it. No, that's really interesting because more often than not, especially when we start talking about these tier one guys, the guy, the expectation is like anything below 30 is a disappointment in these playoff games where we'll be shocked when they have a bad playoff game. You know, like there's, there's other guys in this second tier that we'd be kind of hitting at here. Like if Tatum were in the Eastern Conference Finals, from what I've seen to this point, and he had like 16, and didn't hit a bunch of shots. Like, I don't know that I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked right. if that happened to like a healthy Kawhi. So back to the point. Um, Giannis, I think that's a great point, man. I'm totally Thanks. with you on it because I appreciate you know, the uh, the thank you. No, but it's it's it is a good point because it's like I'm still impacting the game a ton, even though. And by the way, the thing that I do the worst would be to settle, would be to settle in some of these. And some guys are such superstars; they're like, you know what, this isn't their best shot, but like I got to take something and do something here. It's just scary because the two stay with Giannis on that role. They just like we don't want to let you get any momentum. So there's always this kind of break of, hey, Middleton, you're going to have some space, and if you're ready. When this space happens, you're going to get a really good look. And that's, again, what I thought closed it out. One of your funniest lines you had going back to your prime days. Thank you. Um, Long time ago. Before Garnett was a Celtic, is you were like, I hope Garnett and Weber end up in the same team so at the end of a playoff game, they can just pass it back and forth to each other at the top of the game. <laughs> the hot potato Olympics, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, it's not, it was, this is not an unfair, like, it's not an unfair criticism of Listen, the time. The tapes are the tape. Go look on right. YouTube. Yeah, watch. They're, they're all there. You can watch, you can watch for yourself. Uh, the thing with Giannis, I do think for a month now, he's figured out a couple of things. And one of them today was just like, just go hard to the basket. Just lurch into people. I'm home. I'm probably getting these calls. And there were a couple of calls that were a little shaky. But for the most part, I just thought his heart was in the right place with the decisions he made. Pretty much. He took a terrible three. When he takes threes now, the announcers react like a child's been left in a hot car or something. Like they're <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely unhappy and outraged. Oh my God, he took a 25 footer. Um, but is that Southern Mark Jackson? Southern Mark Jackson. Um, but yeah. So hey, can it, I can I finish one thing though? Because you we we yeah, went off of it. You were you were beating up on PJ Tucker again, which is definitely one of he's, your moves. Not sure here. he's good. Okay, but the effort that he makes you match with the way he just crashes the glass, all of that stuff. Like he makes, it's not that he's going to get every rebound. He makes your fighting for the rebound that much more of a pain in the ass. There are little things in there and value. And yes, I'm not saying he shuts down Booker. Clearly it's not the case tonight. It's a great point by you, but the Kevin Durant thing, like, Oh, he's out there to defend Durant. Durant drops to the 40. It's on 40 to 50 every game, but switchable perimeter players where it's not, you know, it's not Bryn Forbes who now is banished because they feel actually more comfortable with Teague in a bad switch or Connaughton, who seems to be somebody that Phoenix wants to go after. But, you know, Phoenix, that stuff that worked in the beginning of the series where it felt like, hey, they can run three different things at you with the high pick and roll. Like they're stopping this action further away from the basket earlier into the shot clock, which has messed up a lot of things. And then the other part, too, is that Lopez was a complete non-factor. They're like, just Lopez, using him wrong. I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't know he's, why he's not near the basket. Well, they're just not bringing him back in because, well, they don't want him hunted. So that would be, if this series does turn and Milwaukee ends up winning it, 
I think one of the things that we'll look at is going when they decided like they couldn't really play Lopez. I mean, I, I don't know even know how much he played in the second half. They took him out, never brought him back. It's something we talked about game one. It was one of those game one Atlanta observations. Um, and he's had games where he actually looks terrific offensively, but it's something that Bud clearly doesn't want to go to um, in a closing group with Lopez because oh, they're afraid of him defensively. Oh, for five from three. PJ Tucker. So this is a football theory I have. Sometimes the teams will sign the old safety that used to be good. Yeah. And there's a sense of calm that that guy's out there and the announcer would be like, oh, uh, Ed Reed, the veteran. Ed Reed's a bad one. You got to so, do something. Like, well, but like last year, Houston Texans, Ed Reed. It's like Ed Reed. Carnell Lake. Wh- whoever. Um, Rodney Harrison near the end. Oh, old veteran, always in the right place, knows what to do. And then you're just watching the game and wide receivers are just flying by the guy. <laughs> Everyone's open at all times. Like, oh, veteran, he's breaking up passes that are wildly underthrown. And the announcer's like, oh, veteran savvy once again. Meanwhile, the guy would have been 10 yards open if the pass had been a thing. I think there's an illusion of competence with P.J. Tucker that's important. And I, I mean this as a compliment. It seems like he's good. So when you're out there, it's like, this guy's fighting. He's not afraid. It's a good guy to have out there, right? If you want five guys, especially when you're going to Phoenix for game five, he's not going to be scared. You know, he's going to feel like he belongs. He's going to switch on D. He's going to talk trash. He's going to argue with the refs. And it feels like somebody you want out there. But then when you actually look at it, it's like, what's this guy actually doing? But so I think we're, I think you're right, I guess is my point. He does enough stuff that it seems like things are happening, but I'm not actually sure things are happening. But people think they're happening, which might be half the battle. Did that make having, sense? Having somebody who's not taking shots away from your stars and plays with that level of effort, uh, I think is important. Especially when you're talking about teams that feel like, wait, how, who are they playing again? Like, not everybody gets to have eight good players. And the funny thing is, I actually think he moves way more now than he does when he was with Houston. Yeah, well, Houston, probably in better shape just, now. He was glued in the corner. Um, I'm going to talk about Drew Holiday, but let's take a quick break. So quickly, my last thought, and then I want to move on. We have so we have to talk about this Kawhi Clippers thing. That we have some Olympic stuff. There's some other stuff on the docket. Draft. Um, we got to talk draft. Today. Yeah, and draft. Drew Holiday. Sometimes he has these games where it feels like in the off season you'll be reading a story about like Drew Holiday got LASIK surgery. And he, he reports he, he really sees the ball now. He didn't realize he needed it. He can look so bad shooting that it almost seems like his vision is off. Like he misses like wide right on foul line jumpers. You're like, what is going on? Then other games, he seems fine. I, I have, I think he's the most confusing player of the playoffs. There's games where he has quarters defensively where he looks like the greatest defensive guard you've ever seen your whole life. There's other games where it seems like he's terrified to shoot. There's other games where he seems like I am intent to prove to you that I'm not terrified to shoot and he just takes terrible shots. Then other times he makes the shots. Then he has like this little back down reverse thing that Tiny Archibald used to have where you back the guy down and you kind of drop step um, the opposite way from where guards usually drop step and all of a sudden you get like this twisting layup. And I just am confused by him constantly. Where, where do you stand on Drew Holiday these days? I think he covered it all. I just think his defensive improvement just from his intensity and trying to, you know, cut the head off the snake here with Chris Paul the last couple of games has been a big part of their turnaround. So the shooting's been terrible other than game three. Um, and that, I mean, he just, I can't believe he's going to shoot this poorly, right? Like this. And then it seems like 
they kind of know how bad it's going offensively. So he's not really a big part of what they're doing. You know, it's either. What would you tell out. Drew? What would you tell him tonight if you're buddies with them? What would your text be? Like, do you know how many picks we gave up for you? True. Hold on, Drew. I'm gonna text you. I just want to text you every pick we gave up. Yeah. Now I know Eric Bledsoe was in the trade, and that was a bonus. This that is was how good worth two picks. This is how good people thought you were. This is the market for you. So, um, you know, he. I want to give him credit because I really think the defensive stuff has slowed Phoenix's, or just it's made Phoenix. Like Phoenix in the beginning of this series, you're going all right. So you can run this screen, and then Paul can throw it to Aiton if you keep two with him. If you switch it, then Paul's going to beat the big that he switched on to. If you come off of somebody else, Paul's going to find that guy. Like Paul was just absolutely puppet mastering this entire offense. And yeah. they've they found a way to slow that down. And look, and, and Paul was so bad tonight. It wasn't just because of the D. I mean, he sucked. So I'm getting texts now from people. They're, they're checking on me. And I'm like, look, I'm, what did you think I was going to say? No, he was he was actually just feeling him out for game five. Like, I got nothing for you. He was, he was awful. What do you think the line is for Game Five? I have it. I just looked on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Phoenix minus three, two and a half. Phoenix minus four. Right. Seems a little high, considering we don't know what, what's going on with our guy Chris. I bet on Milwaukee to win in six before the series. It's five to one. You did. Yeah, that's right. We talked about that. That's great yeah. value. So good for you. Well, it didn't feel like great value when they were down two nothing. Yeah, but that's what happens, though. I mean, it's like no one's ever watched. I, I, look, I'm just going to repeat myself, but, you know, Phoenix is up 2-0, and it's like, oh. And I look, one of the things I thought about the series, even though I picked Phoenix, I go, you know, there's going to be times where Milwaukee's size feels like it's overwhelming for a small group. Like, yeah. Phoenix actually, you know, the whole reason we cared about the Lakers matchup there. And and guess what? Like, okay, now it's 2-2, and Phoenix is probably going to look better at home. And they'll probably remember, get, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Remember the 99 Knicks? When Ewing goes, yeah. they make the finals. Ewing goes down. Yeah. And they basically had six guys. And there's a point in that series where it was like, oh, man, they're actually trying to win the title, getting huge minutes from Chris Childs and Chris Dudley. Like, this probably isn't happening. But it was kind of the Jedi mind tricked you into thinking it could happen. I wonder which one of these two teams will have that realization after the finals. We're like, oh, man, what were we thinking? The Bucs had four guys. So how did we ever talk ourselves into them winning the title? Or conversely, the Suns had one reliable scorer and seven guys total. Why did we ever think they were going to win the finals? I feel like however this plays out, we're going to be saying, how did we think that team was going to win afterwards? I just don't know who the team is. That's why it's such well, a weird finals. Yeah, but I mean, that's the playoffs. So I, I imagine if we're doing this in five years and somebody goes, hey, that was weird. How did that happen? And then we're going to go over all the injuries. We're like, oh, that's right. That happened, See, but none of it matters now, you know? But the thing is, if, if Milwaukee wins these next two, it'll be, I would say the main reason would be because Giannis kicked all kinds of ass, and then we leave this series with the, oh, that was the Giannis series. That was when Giannis became an all-time guy. That was when he moved into this other sphere, and then we'll remember the series that way. If Phoenix wins, it'll be like a little more of the, man, weird year. Chris Paul broke his hand in game three. The Phoenix won the title. <laughs> like, what the fuck happened? Phoenix had seven guys. Campaign made the game-winning three in game seven. He banked in a three to win it. Uh, all right, Kawhi and the Clippers. <laughs> campaign um, campaign gets full mid-level. Didn't, he didn't call glass, but we're not going to hold it against him. Uh, Kawhi and the Clippers. So we find out literally a month after... Kawhi hurt his knee in that uh, Clippers-Jazz game. 
that he had a partially torn ACL. This was the weirdest kind of secret NBA story of the last month. I know you and I talked about it privately. We didn't talk about it on the pod that much because we didn't really have information. Well, we did. We did. But we, we just I, didn't know what to say. Well, we said, hey, I've heard everything from ACL to not and that he's trying to get a second opinion. But I didn't say like, hey, this is exactly what I'm hearing because I didn't know, you know, and that's that's the whole point with Kawhi. So I know we touched on it, but we threw it out as like, here's all the bullshit that's out there, but we don't know. So, yeah, I didn't feel, I, you know, I didn't know. The one thing we did say in the pod, and I think I said it and you backed it up, was like the Clippers are just in the dark. Because yeah. this is the experience of having Kawhi on your team is he just doesn't communicate. So now it comes out the ACL thing. And I think both of us have heard that uh, there were, this was late arriving news for the Clips. Yeah, I think the Clippers knew, but they didn't know officially. And then Kawhi, yeah. I guess I just don't understand it. Like, look, if Kawhi's a free agent, everybody wants him tomorrow, even though he's probably going to miss most of the year. And then you don't really know what you have. San Antonio, he he didn't trust the doctors. Antonio Daniels, who I went on with in NBA radio, who does a great job, you know, I, he played down there and he told a really good story because I was like, how come every player thinks every team doctor is like out to get you? He goes, look, Ryan, I'm telling you straight up. He goes, when I was in San Antonio, the team doctor said, hey, look, if it's a tie, the team pays my check. So, you know, mm. I'm, I'm going to think team before you. So when you're a player and you hear that, okay. So then if you go through the timeline, like he goes to Toronto, Toronto was basically afraid of him, Bill. Right? Yeah, like, I was saying to you, they, they wouldn't even make eye contact with him. <laughs> yeah. He, like, he's, he, so, he walks in the room, they all look down. Don't look at him. Don't make eye contact. It's like those yeah. stories here about Hollywood stars where you're not allowed to look at them on the set. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you've got that situation. It worked out. It worked out for everybody. You went there, won a ring, you know, and then he gets to the Clippers and, and you're like, okay, we know we're signing up for something that's a little bit different here. But I think he makes it excessive. I don't, you know, I don't know if it's just a massive distrust. I know it sounds old and lame to a younger generation, but I still believe in kind of the team before yourself thing a little bit. I, I would imagine more younger media members think that that's stupid. Um, I'm not saying that as a player, you're just supposed to like follow the team's orders every single time. But I don't look. he's still going to get all his money probably. But at what point? Do you think it's actually like, hey, could we be a little bit more on the same page here? Or is that just impossible with Kawhi? Because honestly, I'm not a huge fan of it, even though I think he's and understand how great he is. There seems like a big distrust going back to the Spurs. The Raptors, as we said, it was very, very, they left them alone. Same thing with the Clippers. This is a real issue, though, that if he had any injury that happened a month ago, and now it's the partial tear, which is basically treated like the full tear. So you're talking 10, 11 months for the recovery. Well, we're in mid-July now. That takes us to end of March, April range, which will be when the playoffs start next year. They're, that means they're a six, seven, eight seed, best case scenario. They're not going to have them. Then when he comes back, he's not going to communicate with them. He'll be on his own timetable. Um, he'll be on his own recovery timetable too. I would say it's more likely he just doesn't play next year because for what we've seen from him, he doesn't like playing if he's, he does, he doesn't want to risk it. He doesn't want to get hurt and he wants to play on his own pain timetable. So now we're looking at, I think it's pretty safe to say, I, I, I don't think they're a full fledged cross off next year, but I think you can cross them off in pencil. When you think like the Warriors are going to be way better next year, the Lakers are going to do stuff. We're going to have the Suns, I think, are going to be in a better place. They're going to bring everyone back. 
Denver, Murray should be back by March range. Luca and Dallas. Um, not sure what's going to happen with that, but you go on down the line and it's like, I, I just don't see a scenario where they're one of the best six teams. So if you're telling me they're going to be a seven seed or an eight seed, or maybe even in the play-in tournament with Kawhi coming back from an ACL thing, to me, that's a cross-off. I'll cross them off in pencil, but it's still a cross-off. And my big point here is all the stuff they gave away for this guy, this will be three years where they got within, uh, you know, two games of getting out of round two. And that's going to be the legacy of this team. Classic Clippers. It's just, this is why they're the Clippers. They just have the worst luck of, I think, anybody. I, I don't even know what number. I remember I did the Curse of the Clippers piece when Blake Griffin got drafted for page two back when my fingers worked. And Blake Griffin was like, I'm not afraid of a curse. I'm not afraid of the Clippers. And I wrote a whole piece about, you actually should be afraid of the Clippers. And here are all the reasons why. And I had a paragraph in there of all like the knee injuries guys on the Clippers have had. And it was like some of the best players, you know, some of the highest lottery picks of like two generations and t uh, Danny Manning on down, all of them got hurt. And now Kawhi's another one. Um, Elton Brand has this career year, at, you know, right before I wrote that piece, he blew out his Achilles. Blake gets drafted as a rookie. Everyone's excited. He gets hurt. He misses his whole rookie year. But it's just like I, this franchise and the luck they've had is really, really remarkable. And, you know, we're, there's going to be three years there where all the picks they gave up where they got nothing at all. And how about the contract part of it? Because he's got a deadline in his player option for $36 million, I think, in the very beginning of August. And so part of you would say, well, now he's just going to go ahead and pick that up or would he decline it and ask for the four-year extension? But the difference is, is if he picked up the player option, then he can sign a new five-year max, which is like $240 million. Would you give him so that? Honestly, would you give him that? He's had knee issues now for five years. Probably. And now he just has an ACL injury on top of it. On top of all the other knee stuff he has, which we don't even know how bad it was. I know the easiest thing is to say, no way. You can't do that. And it's like, okay, then what's your plan? Then what's your plan? And I, honestly, like he scares the shit out of me now at this point. And the fact that it's like, hey, if we're going to give you $240 million, can you give us any kind of fucking heads up about anything? Right. Is that okay? Like, can we? But the thing is, is it's not even worth losing any sleepover because he's just not going to do it. He's not going to operate that way. And you just hear like how when you have Kawhi on your team, you don't really have like he's just he's just there's not. A there's a stability piece of it that it's just never going to be there. No, but it's it's just like he's not going to do you. I, hell, it's not even doing somebody a favor. There's just a certain level of of courtesy you'd expect, but it's just not. And again, I'm, I'm sure some stars are like, who cares? Whatever. Like, we're the ones out there doing all this stuff. You're like, all right, man, whatever. Like, this whole playoffs, oh, Kawhi's been so vocal around the team. And you're like, what? The guy's been talking like three years. What are you talking about? And then he played, he, he played nine games in 2018. He missed 22 games in 2019. He missed, um, I guess, nine games in the bubble, bubble season. And then he missed 20 last year. And then he's going to miss all the ones this year. He's going to turn 31 next year. Well, what would you do? I'd be, I'd be terrified to give him a five-year max. I don't think I would do it. Okay, but you know exactly what's going to happen. Say he goes that route, picks up the option because he's looking for the five-year next year. Picks it up. Every article is going to be, he's, it's actually the knee is stronger. And since he hasn't played as much, there's more mileage. And he's still one of the top five players. Like All that stuff's going to happen. So if he picks up the option, 
you have him for next year, that's it. And then you have the option. He could pick up the option and say, I'm now going to leave unless you give me the five-year deal. Why couldn't he just do that now? Or it would have to be a four-year deal that now. It's a four-year deal now. It's a tough one. I just think we, from what we've seen from the Clippers, they're going to pay him because they're the same team that gave Marcus Morris 64 million and Luke Kennard 64 million. They're, they're just, they're going to end up paying him. And probably gonna I just don't him. recommend it. But I don't even know that it's a Clippers-specific thing because, you know, Durant, as soon as he blows the Achilles out, you, know, you ask somebody in Golden State, like, hey, and they're like, what are you, like, this might, of course we're going to max him, you know? And then he could have made even more money. There's different durability. To me, he's, is a, there? he's a safer durability risk. Yeah, he broke his Durant foot that one is? year. Broke his foot and he had the Achilles. But for the most part, I, I just think, it feels he, like Kawhi's been battling stuff for six straight years here. When is the I, last I time use, he's looked 100% healthy? I, I'm with you there, but I wouldn't use Durant as the picture of health here. I mean, he's been... I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think he's a safer bet than Kawhi is. But the other thing you have to factor in, it's like getting rid of the quarterback who sucks. All right, you know, I shouldn't say it. It's like getting around to the quarterback who can't win you a playoff game. And then everybody in the city's mad at the quarterback. They're mad at the GM. They think everybody's an idiot. And then you're like, all right, we know you should replace him too. But then what do you want us to do? Just cut him? And now what? Like, what are we going to do? It's not the exact same thing, but it's the same challenge in the sense that it's like, okay, I don't want to give him this massive max deal because that's absurd. But then it's like, okay, but what what are you going to do now? Because a healthy Kawhi and Paul George still gives you a better chance than probably whatever your backup plan is. That's two years from now. He's going to be so healthy next year when the articles come out. I guess the case for giving him the contract is you could probably always trade him, but it just, to me, feels like we've seen teams in this situation before. Like, remember Washington in the late 2000s with Gilbert, where Gilbert was eligible for that giant contract, and it's like, well, he's coming off a of knee surgery. Probably shouldn't do it, but hey, what's plan B? Gotta do it. And then it's like they've completely crippled your franchise. A little like the John Wall contract. I, it just makes me really nervous. To you're commit. right to be with, nervous with a hundred and five million dollar salary cap. You're going to give one guy forty million. And you have no idea if he can play sixty games. Hey, look, I don't know if you're I would right. do it. I would Everything sign. I would sign right. and trade him. I would sign and trade him. I would exit plan it right now if I could. I don't know if I could because Kawhi has a partially torn ACL and doesn't talk to anybody. Yeah, but then there's also like you just he just what are you going to trick him? <laughs> Here's the part I don't get. They know right away with ACLs, right? It's torn, it's partially torn, whatever. You you know within 24 hours. Why the fuck did it take him a month to have the surgery? Because it's Kawhi. It? It's everything know, we're talking that's, about. That's a bad job by him, though. Because if he, let's say he gets it in June. Let's say he gets it within a week. Now, if it's 10 months, now he's back heading toward the playoffs. Like, he can come back like two, three weeks left in the season. But to wait that extra month, like, really fucks the team. Yeah, I'm sure he doesn't care. But... I know he cares about his legacy. That's why he went to the Clippers. That's why he hijacked them to, make, to trade for Paul George. He clearly cares about being on a winning team and how he's regarded. That's why he didn't want to go to the Lakers. He didn't want to be LeBron's caddy. So he does care about this stuff to some degree. And he had a chance to win the title with three different teams. And I, I, he really set himself back. It's very strange. I think it's one of the weirder stories. And what's weirdest to me is that both of us are confident the Clippers didn't really know what was going on until the tail end of this. Right. I think they, they, they had an idea. Yeah. Right. And again, with Kawhi, you never know. I'd heard maybe the delay was because 
he was looking for another opinion. But the ACL, it's not, this isn't like. How long would it take for, what did he go to New Zealand? How long, how long does it take to get an opinion? Hey, look, conclusion of story. Great player. We may Super completely underestimate. Yeah, we may underestimate that like he kind of sucks to deal with. Well, he certainly had trouble dealing with a team that is an organization that everybody seems to love for the most part. And then you see the Team USA stuff and it's like Popovich, Popovich always wanted to play for this guy. And, and Kawhi was the one guy who just, for whatever reason, it went completely sideways. He's Which the only one, the, one. It's one of the most surprising AWOL moments in like team sports modern history. It is. Because when that stuff, I remember the first time I heard of it, like, wait, Kawhi? Like, not Kawhi, he's a spur. He's a spur for life. It's he like a patriot. It. And I'm not even, I'm not criticizing him for that. He Everything he did for Toronto, good for him. It's awesome. Like, I'm just, I don't understand the lack of communication thing. No, like, the thing it, is, the reason we're saying all this is we love Kawhi. If you've listened to this podcast and we came on after some of those Raptors games in 2019, like, I think he's one of the 30 best players of all time. But I also think he's had a really weird career. And if you look at the other guys, like, you know, I have my list. I have him 28th right now. The other guys in that list are all really reliable guys. Pippen, Wade, Isaiah Did Thomas. You move Chris Paul? Kuzi. Well, Chris Paul is still in that 30 spot, depending on what happens in this Phoenix series. <laughs> uh, Barkley, Malone, Garnett, Bob Pettit. These guys were all reliable. Pull up Bob. And, and I think Kawhi is the one of this whole, in that whole group where it's just like, I don't know what we're getting from this guy. Pretty strange. Team USA. Um, you famously don't care about international basketball, which is weird because you'll watch yeah. Juco kids on YouTube for like six straight hours, but a USA-Argentina game with a 41-year-old Luis Scola doesn't, just doesn't pique your interest. I don't know why it happened, but it just it doesn't do much for me. It might be because the Hall of Fame argument thing that I've always brought up. The quicker you have to tell me you won a gold medal, the worse your case for being a Hall of Famer is. Mm. Um, if it's like the second thing somebody says about your player resume, and you're like, Olympic gold medalist. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't know. Why, I, don't, I don't even know why it happened. It just sort of happened. Like I'll notice all the international stuff going on. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I guess I just don't think I'm going to get that much out of it. I guess probably other than watching the other teams. Um, I watched the under 19 France USA deal. Oh, what'd you was, think of KOC's guy? The seven foot two Ralph Sampson kid from France. He's unbelievable. He's very Sampson. -y. I watched all the YouTube clips. Yeah. Young Ralph is back. French Young Ralph. Ralph. Quicker than Ralph. Ralph was one of the best college players I've ever seen. He's like in the top seven. He really is. I'll say this about, uh, about Olympic basketball. KOC and I talked about it the other day. And I was talking about how I really wish they didn't have like that playmaker glue guy whose just main goal was to make everyone else better. It felt like a team that was very similar to watching the Celtics all season of just one-on-one -on -one guys, your turn, now you go. And just, and Dame Lillard, just the classic, dribbles the ball up, finds somebody, but isn't really the traditional point guard, right? He's more of a zero guard. And a couple people texted me, what about LaMelo? Wouldn't, wouldn't LaMelo be more fun on this team than the ghost of Kevin Love? And I got to say, I think LaMelo would have been really fun on this team. And I actually got bummed out because I was like, wow, that he actually would have been perfect. It would have been, really fun to watch LaMelo. He wouldn't have cared if he scored. I think he would have pulled some sort of togetherness out of this team as we had in the Olympics. But anyway. 
Pop probably would have benched him the last four minutes because of defensive. Pop said, get that dude out of here. Uh, (laughs) He just lost some guy from France. (laughs) I, you're a big, as soon as it started going south between the Nigerian loss and then the, the Australian, I did watch the Aussie game. Um, because when I saw the Nigeria score, I was like, wait, what? And, um, Patty Mills, one of the great international players of all time. So, so then, you know, as soon as it happens, it turns into a roster construction. Mm. <laughs> Chairman construction. Slapping injunctions on them so fast will make their head spin. Um, I, <laughs> I, I go like, wait, so let me get this straight because they don't have a better rebounder or playmaker. They're supposed to lose to Patty Mills, Delavadova, yeah. Joel Ingles, yeah. um, Baines, who was hurt at the end of that game. And then I called one of the guys number 15 because it was number 15, one of Hold the on. big guys. Do you, do you want to apologize to the Australian community? Oh, no. Australian people got really upset about I that. Do you want to apologize? Which, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Brian, I know you have some words to say here, to the Australian what, community. Here's, here's what I'll ask the Australian fans. who You got to understand how bad I want to make it down there, New Zealand, the whole deal. I'm going to swing through. It's going to happen at some point. Me too. So, so understand this is, this is, I love and respect the deal. But Me as well. If, if we were playing a fantasy GM game, and I gave you like because people are like you don't understand international play. I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't. I'm not as locked in as other guys, but I still watch a lot of basketball. Yeah, and then I'm like, I had American guys going, oh, we sound like soccer, you know, elitists. And I go, okay, okay, everybody, just back up. If you had the first five picks for a team to beat another team, would you take Patty Mills, Delavadova, Ingles, Baines? And number 15, before you took Durant, Lillard, Tatum, and Beal, would you? Because you would. All right? So, yes, in one game, anything can happen. Yes, the international guys are a little more locked in. But there's a in a season where we saw NBA stars miss a million games and not take it real seriously, I think we're seeing a little carryover of that, at least in the first couple games, until the U.S. got a win. Um, what, today or yesterday? I, forget. I wish Moby was on the team. I wish Lamelo was on the team. Coutinho? Cunningham. No, uh, Evan. Oh, I'm sorry. I would have put, a, I would have put more young guys on the team just for some young blood. Uh, coming up after the break, Rosillo is going to po- apologize to Australia. All right, draft time. You're in the weeds. You're doing stuff. I could tell you have that kind of glazed look of a guy who's been squinting too much on a bad YouTube video. Um, what are you thinking? What's your top three right now? My top three is Cade, Mobley, and Jalen Green. So you don't have Mobley over Cade yet. I thought you were considering it. Yep. And I was. And, you know, I do both clips and full games because if you just do clips, you can trick yourself. And if you don't do full games, you'll miss stuff. And if you watch just Evan Mobley clips, which is, I think I was after like a five hour Mobley clip phase, yeah. I texted you. He, I went 40 clips in a row before I saw a bad play. And I was like, this guy's nuts. Like I had done work on him before. But I was like, this is this is crazy. And I go, all right, make sure you go back and watch Cade and watch full games. If you just watch Mobley clips, he's number one. If you watch full games of both, Cade is still the only player in this draft. Although there are a few limitations there. Um, but the team wasn't very good. He's the only guy with that ability, and especially in today's NBA, Bill. High ball screen, comes off of it, makes the play or shoots. His free throw shooting and 40% from three is incredible. The big moment factors that he's had all season long, that he's totally in control of the game. You can't speed him up, all that stuff. Those big wings that may be multiple position defenders, because they played a lot of zone there, um, 
those guys are just too valuable. They're too valuable. So there might end up being a player. Like if somebody said, hey, Cade's going to be really good, but there's going to be another player that's going to be better than him. I'm not going to be shocked if that happens in a few years, but Cade is still safer than even a Jalen Green that some teams love in Mobley. So Do you agree with my plan if I was Detroit to trade down a spot, take Mobley and get more assets? The AKA the Jason Tatum? It just depends on what kind of asset you're getting. Eric Gordon? That was floated out there. I was laughing. <laughs> pretty sure. Pretty sure Eric Gordon's not going to be the sweetener to go from number two to number one. I think you're getting other picks. I think you're getting future picks with two, with, uh, with two for one. So kind of like you're saying there with, with Boston, they got potentially what could have been a great could have been a great pick, pick and, and nine out of 10 times probably would have been. By the way, your theory about just watching clips of Mobley and tricking yourself into thinking he's going to be the next Carvin Garnett, I think that's how the Celtics ended up with Romeo Langford. I don't think he was really <laughs> in their board, and I think they frantically watched like 30 short clips of him. And they're like, this guy looks amazing. Wow. I'd like to know what those player. What were those clips? <laughs> um, look, Mobley, I mean, he does shit, Bill. Where there was one play, I was sending you a bunch of clips last week yeah. when I was doing my final deep dive on him. Like he grabbed a rebound, like he challenged a shot, then recovered to get in a rebounding position, grabs the defensive board, and then I thought he fell down and turned it over. And actually what he was doing, his body was all out of whack and he still threw a perfect outlet pass out to the wing as he was falling down. And I was mm. like, what is this? And like, look, he's, the shot he's not comfortable with, that's fine. He takes one three game, hits only 30%. But some of his perimeter skills where he'll get it out and Guys will, it just blows by guys. And then like two guys will be like, okay, well, holy shit. Like he got our guy off the dribble. So let's bring the back line up to him because it's not like he's going to pass. And then he drops a dime five feet away to a baseline cutter. Like there's some really special um, perimeter stuff and smart and he doesn't make bad plays. And I think he's, you know, even though the post evaluation is like, oh, he can post, he can seal, he can do all these different things. He's going to get pushed around a little bit. He's, his waist is really thin, which actually makes him physically incredibly impressive. He runs past everybody in transition. But um, even some of the post stuff that other people don't necessarily like as much, I think his instincts are all really good. And he's got a soft touch, which is another thing. Because like just I know I'm rambling, but like they're post guys and you could tell, like, did you learn one move ever? And then you're like, OK, plant foot right now swing shoulder over and now throw ball up at rim and hope it like there's guys that sort of play in the post and there's no fluidity whereas everything around the rim even if you think he's a little soft right now because of his his frame which is obviously going to get bigger um his touch and feel is all very natural he's he's honestly built out of a lab I wish for the last 20 years I had been doing a segment called I'm all in where I could just go all in on people I'm all in on Mobley I think he's a can't miss. I think he's worst case scenario, Chris Bosch. Okay, let That's me throw another, let me throw something else at you. All right. Yeah. So on top of whatever work I do, people would take it or leave it. I, every time I talk to like somebody under the decision maker, you know, Mobley will come up like, hey, I wouldn't, you know, when they don't have the pick either, by the way. But yeah, it's like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate on, you know, Mobley. Right. Or like Jalen Green, a couple teams are like, Jalen's going to be the best player out of this draft. You know, and everybody makes compelling arguments. <laughs> and then uh, Kaminga is not going to be the best player of this draft. No, no. Kaminga is the most <laughs> polarizing guy. I, I stopped watching him. I was watching his AAU shit and I go, all right, I'm over. I'm done. Wait, I'm like, if he answered, polarizing means there's people on both sides. Oh, some people are all in. Like they think who? with his size and his perimeter skill, I'm not going to say who, but. Oh, good luck. 
There are people. I'm, I'm out. I'm all out on Kaminga. You're all out on Kaminga. I'm that all out on Kaminga. That'd be your other second. He feels like the eighth pick of the Magic waiting to happen. You could just see it. You could see it in slow motion, just him heading toward Orlando. It's like, ah, oh, talented forward. Can do it all. I hope he goes to Orlando so we can have like a Jonathan Isaac Kaminga DVD release party. With Bamba? Like, hype video. <laughs> Guest starring Mo Bamba. <laughs> All right, I don't. I actually don't want that to happen to them, but I don't know. It's six. He might. He might end up there. Um. So as I as I'm taking you through all this stuff, right? I was I was asking a GM this morning, and they don't they don't have a pick that's even in play here. So they, they were they were fairly open with me about it, and I said, well, you know, what do you think about one? And the guy's like, it's Cade. That's the seventh decision maker when I've asked them. If you have Cade, do you have to think about Mobley or Green? It's seven for seven. Everybody's like, no, okay, don't have to think about it. Mm. And I was like, wow. So then when I asked the GM this morning, I go, okay, just take me through the process. He goes, here's the deal. He goes, all the scouts and assistant guys that you'll talk to, they're like, hey, maybe a little Jalen Green might be the call. Mobley might be the call. Those guys don't have to get worry about getting fired when Cade Cunningham makes like five all-star games. Like, it's fair. I, I have to worry about being fired. So that's why at the top of the draft, it'll end up being more consensus. But I'm surprised that the decision makers were so much certain. I was like, you don't have to think about it at all. Like Mobley's pretty special. Yep. Don't have to game today. All the stuff we ran through with Kate. Can I ask you a question or do well, you have that, something but, to add to that? Yeah, I have something to add to that. It's Go one ahead. of my favorite theories, the fear of losing my job syndrome, which drives 90% of the decisions made in the NBA. People just want to keep their jobs. Yep. And if they could like Portland, Olshay, who's uh, him and Griffin, it's like 1A, 1B for uh, most people who love them in the media versus the actual job that they're doing. Um, it would make sense to me if he trades Lillard to get this godfather package of a bunch of picks back because then he can't get fired for another three years. And they'll be like, we got an all-star back. Well, you're not going to get an all-star back and send him to a team that he's going to actually want to go to. Your best case scenario is the Wiseman, Wiggins, 7, 14, and a bunch of Warriors picks, send him to the Warriors. But whatever job, whatever trade happens will be a keeping my job trade if they trade Dame Lord. Otherwise, you're better off keeping him. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I also don't know that, you know, Lillard, when we're talking about somebody who's under contract with a player option the fourth year from now, that's a completely different set of circumstances. So Is it? Um, I'm still waiting for the first NBA star to be like, I want out who hasn't been able to get out. All of them can Houdini style uh, get rid of the straitjacket and climb up to the surface of the water if they really want to. Yeah, but you got to make it nasty, or you can have your agents do it. If you're Anthony Davis, you know. So Dame has some cards to play. He does, but especially the Billups hiring, like he, there's places he could go if he really wants out. Right, but it and felt like Dame. It felt like Dame liked the Billups hire, and then. People on Twitter didn't like it. So then Dame felt like, okay, now I have to distance myself from this. It's like, okay, but, yeah. you know. Um, all right, let me, uh, did you have more on the draft? Do you have another guy you kind of like? I like Book Knight. People do like Book Knight. KFC think, said he's climbing. I think ESPN had him going ninth or 10th today on their mock. He just seems like an NBA player. I haven't gone, I've only done the top 10 guys. I haven't done that 10 to 24. I haven't done the deep dive because I'm just waiting for the finals 10, to be honest. But um, 
everyone's saying it's a deep draft. Like you could end up with somebody 19, 20th pick who could be really good. So I haven't done the dive on those, but book night, I just, you know, it just seems like, could he have played in tonight's game? Yes. Easily. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah. He Is he better than Jeff game. Teague? Could, could, uh, could Mitchell have played in tonight's game? Yes. He would have been out there. He would have gotten all 11 Jeff Teague minutes. And he could have leaned on his brother for playoff experience. His brother could have helped him. Would have been great. Uh, you have lottery traits for me. Uh, yeah, I don't have all of them yet. I, I just, uh, this is my my. Give me a couple. One. You all know right, I ready? love trades more okay. than anybody who's all ever right. loved trades. All right, you're running the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, I'm trading down. No, I'm making this more interesting. And the Hornets call you up. Mm. And they go, hey, you know what? Why don't we do something fun here? Oh, LaMelo? Why don't you trade the the unknown for the known? If if Charlotte offered you LaMelo for the number one pick in your Detroit, what would you do? I'd rather have LaMelo. I, so <laughs> oh, I would, I would take LaMelo over Cade. Yeah, I, I like LaMelo more than Cade. I liked what I saw from LaMelo last year. I think he's, I think he's a winning player. Look Granted, he's, he's all over the place defensively, but... I, there's a competitive spirit to him that I wasn't positive any member of the ball family could have that he absolutely had. Really fun to play with. Um, I loved, like you did, how he could get to the basket against bigger guys and do the bounce off the body, double clutch layup thing. I, I just really liked him. Like he shot him. it better? Yeah. Like he, I, he, somehow I, he shot it better in the NBA than he had at like three previous stops. Safer bet to me to be a superstar, not a superstar, a high-end star than Cade. I think Cade's a safer bet in the in the sense that we know he's going to be a really good shooter and we know he has size. You can be able to switch to them on D, all that stuff. But I think LaMelo is just, I think he's more fun to watch. I think he's more, if you're in Charlotte, he's going to get your fans kind of more invested. I think Charlotte would have a really hard time trading him just in general. I think he really hit it big in Charlotte. I don't think they've had a star like that before. Have they? I mean, it's like, you'd have to go back to like... Kemba. Baron Davis, Kemba wasn't exciting like Lamelo was, though. Yeah, but I think because he was, there's guy. Look, he's not Lamelo for the excitement standpoint, so I'm not even going to d- debate that one at all. But I do think it's you don't want to cut like Kemba too short because he had had a long enough run, even though they didn't do anything. Um, that at least I feel like he was somebody that was a face of the franchise stability. No, but no, it's fair. But he's just like you weren't telling your grandkids about seeing Kemba. You weren't. You weren't uh, being like, hey, get eight <laughs> tickets because your whole family's in town. They got to see Kemba tonight. You know, speaking of LaMelo, there's this tweet. Mark Stein, who, by the way, is on uh, Substack now. Highly recommend the uh, Stein line. You can get him. He gets right in your email box. He writes pieces and certainly been a guest on this podcast. He was the first podcast guest I ever had. So I want to really? have him on at some point to plug plug his uh, his new I, Substack. I thought it, was, it wasn't Carl Ravage. No, it was not Carl Ravage. Um, anyway, he tweeted about the NBA's 15 most popular jerseys for the second half of the season. And here they were LeBron James, Giannis, KD, Luca, Jason Tatum in the five spot, Booker, Steph Curry, number eight, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Brooklyn Nets, Dame Lillard, that's your top 10, then Trey Young, Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis. Ja Morant, Kawhi Leonard. The two that jumped out at me that were not on the list was LaMelo and Zion. 
I would have I would have bet anything those guys were on the list and they were not. Zion not being on that list is like if you're making the case, you're writing the dissert the the dissertation, the closing argument in the trial why he needs to get the fuck out of New Orleans. You just show him that list. You're like, look at this list. You're not on it. You're one of the five most exciting players in the league. Every time on League Pass, there's a fourth quarter and Rosillo is home. He's watching your game over all the other games and you're not a top 15 jersey. Like, well, you got to get out of there. What are you doing? That surprises me. Um, it almost makes me think something's wrong. But I mean, it's not. You can't just say like, well, New Orleans, they're a small market, and all that kind of stuff. You would just think like the fact that Ja is in the top 15 and Zion isn't. That's the, that's the part where like, oh, you can't argue market there. Uh, no. I'm impressed that I'm impressed that Jaws there. I'm surprised Trey is in a little bit higher because I feel like little kids like Trey. Trey is now the new Westbrook in that every little kid loved Westbrook. All my friends, kids that were a certain age, like they didn't care where they were from in the country. They all loved Westbrook. And I think a lot of those like the next group of kids five years younger than them. It's all Trey Young. So especially with the I, Atlanta I feel part like of Curry, it, Curry's in there. Curry grabbed the Westbrook title for three, four years there with little kids. He was like little kid Pied Piper. Yeah. I, I actually probably might have been at the same time. I guess I just felt like I had No, it was all Westbrook these... and then Curry 2014. Curry yeah, took right. the mantle. And now I agree with you. Yeah. So if you do that, let's... If we do that again this summer... Or in Australia, Ingles has to be top 10. <laughs> Ingles. Hey, you got to apologize to the Australian community again later in the podcast. I don't um, think I'm going to, though. I didn't really say anything wrong. I, I hate the Team USA just lost go, to... Just go with the bit. Just go with the bit, Rosilla. Um, I think if we do this top 50 most popular jerseys in September, I think Trey's in the top five, right? It's probably LeBron, Giannis. Maybe Giannis is one. LeBron, KD, Luca, and I would say Trey's fifth because I think he won over that many people over the course of the, uh, the tournament. But this, it, this is one of the things that's at stake with Giannis for the finals. Like, it's not just winning the title. Like, he... He now gets gets the conch, Lord of the Fly style. He he gets it. It's, a, it's in his tent. He has it. Get, you get all the spoils. You're the best player in the league. You're the biggest name. You came through on the biggest stage. And I think he'll be the biggest jersey. Internationally, definitely. Plus the Yo best hyperventilator I think we've ever seen in the finals. No Jokic. No Jokic. The Joker, tough, tough. Don't be little kids that not really growing up wanted to be the Joker. <laughs> and the, the thing XL, is, the XL is kids jersey. The argument for it is like he's the most like a little kid that's ever played in the league in recent yeah. memory. I mean, he's like a huge kid that beats up people for making fun of him when he just snaps like once one recess every every four months. I was kind of surprised. So we we talked a lot about Nets Nets Knicks. And just like the Nets will ever never own New York, it's a Knicks town, all that stuff. It is pretty interesting that there were three of the top nine were Brooklyn Nets jerseys, and Julius Randle's nowhere to be seen. No, none of that's surprising, though. Honestly, the Brooklyn thing was was huge. Rooting, but rooting more for the players instead of the team, I think. Yeah, but it was also new too. Like, is that why LeBron changes his jersey up? I mean, the Lakers thing alone is enough to carry it because of the Laker fan base, because it's not just an insane number in the biggest state but it's also international. It's all over, you know, not beyond just being all over the States. It's international as well. But I mean, he's changing his number again, isn't he? Yeah. LeBron had, once he got bounced, he had a couple different 
moves to keep himself in the news during the uh, offseason as the playoffs are going on. That was one of them. Now he's got Space Jam, so he can promote that. What? Give me another lottery trade. What else did you have? All right, let me give you one more. Number nine mm, from Sacramento. Sacramento. Yeah. And and Buddy Heald. Oh, Simmons? For Simmons. Ah. I think I need one more piece. Can you give we'll me throw one more in Bagley. Thing? Bagley. You will? Yeah, Bagley Heald and nine. I feel like we've discussed this trade. Um, no, we did the De'Aaron Fox one because I believe that was offered years ago. Um, Simmons, De'Aaron Fox. I don't know who said that. All right, so let's play this out. So I could get Buddy Heald. I could take Book Knight at nine. Yeah. I'll take take a flyer on Bagley. I could always spin him for another asset, right? I could trade him to Orlando or Detroit or wherever. I can get something back for him. Maybe. I don't know. Those high lottery guys that flame out this hard, they usually don't get flipped the second time. They usually, like, Darko, you got the number 15 overall pick, I think, from Orlando. I don't think the second time he gets moved, you get much back. But go ahead. You can first maybe, time you maybe do. revive him. If, if I'm trading with the Kings, though, don't I want Bogdanovich instead of Heald? No, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great if somebody called about Bogdanovich. Yeah, I bet you that. Imagine if, no, I, we don't I have bet him. you that, I bet you that has happened, though, that a GM, and there are really good GMs throughout the league now, yeah. But I think there was a stretch where there felt like there was always a few guys you could pick off. I want someone one day to tell me. Maybe somebody will text one of us about this after the fact. There had to have been a GM at some point that called about a player that was no longer on that team. Has to have happened. Yeah, probably like an older GM, like a Mitch Kupchak. Kind not of Mitch. Mitch not, is no, still... I'm just saying, just a, oh, some old guy. Some older guy. Because I have old guy moments all the time now. I'm only 51. I'm getting things wrong left and right these days. <laughs> I did a rewatchables on Monday and couldn't remember if we did like three movies. This was talking to Julia and Amanda and we had already done all three of them. It was like, I'm not that old. I should be, be able to remember what movies we did on the rewatchables. Kyle, um, you've, you've been in the mix for a while. Have you noticed it with Bill Moore? Slipping? There's some things I just won't say out loud. Thanks, Kyle. That's why you're a loyal ally and a great producer. <laughs> and a, and is, an asset to this podcast. He is a loyal guy. Kyle's the fucking best. Um, can I do better than number nine, Buddy Heald, and the Bagley trade asset? I think you might have to give me a pick swap in like 2025. Fine. I don't know. I mean, you know, the pick swap thing, I can't even keep it. I still think it's funny you said asset after Bagley, but that's fine. I think I just like, could I out. could I turn him into something? He's he's a $10 million expiring salary, right? Right. I can turn that into something. Okay, would you do seven Golden and 14 State. from Golden State Yeah, and Wiggins uh, for Pascal Siakam? I don't think I would. I don't think the upgrade from Wiggins to Siakam is worth two more rotation guys because I think I can get two really good guys at seven and 14. I think I can get two odds guys are, that can play for is, me next year. Right. Odds are one is going to suck. <laughs> odds are, but I listen... If I'm on the Warriors, I I think I work for Joe Lacob. Thousand points of light. What was the thing he said that time? In the New York uh, Times piece? 
There's a lot of stuff that he said in that one, but he I said that I like, like light years ahead. No, it was light years ahead. No, was so we, we're going to be light, we're like, wait until they'd already won titles. And he was like, wait till we really get started. Yeah. Light years um, ahead. So I'm working with Joe Lacob. He's light years ahead. Um, I, uh, I look, <laughs> if you can, if you can't nail seven and 14 in this draft, that's a bad job. No, it isn't. It's fucking history. The draft I know is, it's history, but I think this is a deep draft full of guys who the, who could play for the Warriors based on the team I watched last year. I think they can get two rotation guys. I would rather move up and try to get Mobley with seven and fourteen. If Mobley falls to three, I would really make a hardcore effort to try to get uh, Mobley. I don't um, think you can. I don't think you can with seven and fourteen. It's not the NFL. Throw. Would you, what about seven and Wiseman? I don't want to give up on Wiseman. I don't think I, I, just, I want to. Either. I, don't, I want honestly, the Warriors to keep Wiseman, take seven, take 14, keep Wiggins, bring Clay back, sign and trade Oubre for something. And they'll have nine guys next year that can play basketball. And that's, we, we both, we are very invested in this Warriors, Steph Curry next season. I just want them to surround him with good NBA players who don't suck. Just give them, give him eight teammates who can hang in a playoff game. You were asking for a lot. As much as I like the first 9, 10, 11 of this draft, maybe 10, maybe 9. Um, They're going to hit were, 7. They, you, they 7 is going to be a guy who plays for them next year. But see, I keep reading. There, there's two steady things that I've read about Golden State throughout this. It's like Wiseman's in every deal because everybody's already off him. I think the media and the outside world is more off. I'm not saying he won't be traded, but... I, I don't think they're like, trading him. I just feel like it's... Like they're way higher on him still internally than everybody is externally. So that's how can that you I not be after this DeAndre Ayton thing? And and I I think Ayton was a safer bet to really be successful than Wiseman was, right? But at the same time, you see the value of a big who can rebound and protect the rim and roll to the basket. And it's like Wiseman might be able to do that. Like there's a really good chance in two years, you know. And I the interesting thing with with them is Steve Kerr was on the Blazers when Jermaine O'Neal was on that team, right? When Remember, Jermaine O'Neal basically went to college on the Portland Trailblazers, and he didn't really play for like three, four years. And then Good program. Good program. Became, good program. Learned a lot. Um, but by the time we got to the 04 season, he was one of the 10 best players in the league. And the talent was there, and they took his time, and, you know, they, and, and he blossomed. And I... I think that for somebody like Steve, who actually saw that and knows how talented Wiseman is, I just think they'd be nervous to give him up just because in a weird bubble season where you had no coming off a year where he didn't have a college season and then we have no training camp and then he's thrown in as a starter, like, oh, I can't believe it didn't go well. Like, what were the odds it was going to go well? He was held to a different standard than all those other guys. Like, you don't think he would have gotten 20 and 10 in some shitty team? I mean, he might have had like one... His Hall of Fame tracker, if he played for the Rockets this year, would have been off the charts. All right. So I think the well, Wiseman and also, thinks- one, one more thing on Wiseman, though. That's, as we saw, once he stopped playing because he got hurt and they had to kind of do that high IQ Curry Green thing, that was a high IQ team. I think it's a lot to ask a 19-year-old center exactly to figure out how to click with Curry and Draymond and just all the shit that that team did. Anyway, go ahead. I agree with that part. I think that you're overstating the success rate of draft picks to think that they're going to get two guys that are going to go ahead and play. But I think the other part of it is like when you look at how the lottery starts to shake out, because I think at this point it's, it's Cade, it's Mobley or Green. And then, so those are your three guys. Maybe it's Suggs. Um, 
for well, just so I, good, think, I think it's Mitchell or Fra or Franz Wagner at I know, seven, but I, right? They're just, looking at either of those dudes. Scotty Barnes feels like he's ahead of Kaminga now, where Kaminga yes. was always the fifth name that I'd heard all season long. Hey, give me your top five. Give me your top five. Going back to like the beginning of the calendar year. Yep. And it was always Kaminga. It feels like Barnes, um, Florida State, is is ahead of Kaminga. So then you think, okay, so what if Kaminga goes sixth to Orlando? So now you're talking about for Golden no, State. No, okay, Dave, C six. Uh, excuse me, five Orlando. If they went Barnes, six Kaminga, or you know whatever. Honestly, Kaminga Pre to Oklahoma Presti's City. not taking Kaminga. It's not happening. I don't see it. You don't. That's kind of usually kind of like close your I eyes don't. and swing as hard as you can. Move he might make. All right, so that would put Golden State at seven. So whenever I see like oh Davion, he's ready and they're ready to go. I don't know that Bob Myers. Like I don't like look if their evaluation of Davion Mitchell is that he's the seventh best player in the draft and he's there, they'll go ahead and take him. But when it's described as, well, he's more ready because he's older and they're a championship contender immediately, I don't think front office, even with their situation, would be saying, hey, let's take the lesser player just because of the schedule of our age of the roster. I don't. I think that's when you start making mistakes, especially the other thing is need with bad teams, but they're a good team. I, I don't, I just, Bob Myers, it would surprise me, unless he likes Davion that much, but it would just surprise me if he's like, hey, there's two or three guys I like more, but I'll take Davion because of the run they just had in the tournament and we think he fits in and he's going to catch up to our guys quicker. I, 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 don't, I think that's something a lesser GM can would I, do. Can I make a, the extended case beyond what you just said for him? Sure. Just, just roster fit. I actually think he's the perfect guy to play with Steph. Davion? Because... He's not, he's not an, offensively, he's not your point guard. He's not a distributor. He's playing off the ball, right? But you want Steph to have the ball. Steph and Draymond, you want the offense to run through those guys. You don't want his position to be the guy who's handing the ball. But defensively, you need him to guard Lillard and Jamal Murray and name any guard. Like, that's what he can do on the defensive end because I know he measured out at six feet, but it, to me, that's like, I think that's actually pretty good. I think in the league that we have now, you need a guy who can guard other teams' point guards, who can go Chris Paul one night, Dame Miller the next night, all the way through. And the Warriors have never really had that. They've always had to have like Clay Thompson, you know, guarding small guys and shit like that. I think you could play him with Clay and Steph, and then you have Draymond, and then You're that so fifth small. spot. You're so small. No, but small. then that fifth spot becomes kind of that that four with size. Maybe it's Wiseman. Maybe Wiseman can be the fifth guy with that team. Maybe it's a smaller team where you have like a four with some size. I, I don't know. And maybe the four with the size is the next guy you draft. But yeah, I just I mean, like that. I like him with Curry is my point. Wiseman would have to develop into a center you're keeping on the floor from, you know, what we're both still higher arm has been covered, but that's still a lot to ask for a team that's going to be playing in the playoffs. Um, well, we think Mitchell's going to be able to shoot threes right away, right? All right, that's the other part of it. Depends on who you ask. Like, and he measured six without shoes. They were supposed to change this, where forever all of the heights, as you know, this are NBA heights with with shoes on. And then they decided they were going to stop doing that. So I think he's six feet without shoes. So his NBA height, based on the old standard, would have been like six one and a half. His wingspan was not crazy. You know, that's why when you look at guys like Harden, and you're like, why is Harden so good again? And you're like, oh, he has the, the wingspan of a seven footer. Um, like Reggie Jackson, wingspan of a nine-footer. Exactly. And the attitude of a 10-footer. Right. Although I haven't met a ton of those guys. Uh, there's there's another argument. Again, I was talking to somebody else the other day, and they were giving me the anti-Damian argument. And you're like, small, 
wings small. He's not a first step guy. He finishes below the rim. I push back a little bit on that. I go, even though he finishes below the rim, he has all the awkward finishes, the wrong foot, the show it, bring it back, finish to the other side. Like he's figured out how to finish, at least in college, as a small player. But this is the part that brings it up. Like I don't like, and this is not my quote, but somebody I was talking to saying, I don't like fluke shooters. So I was like, oh, so you think his... Because if you go through it, he was like below 30, right at 30% at Auburn, mm. and then he's in the low 40s. And, you know, it sounded as if it was early. Short season. Who, right. Had made up their mind on Davian, and so they continue to talk themselves into not liking him. All right. So you think uh, Franz so just, Wagner for them? Little, little Wagner action. Six foot Franz nine. Franz is a really shooter. skilled guy. Yeah. Yeah. Could be very warriorsy. So let's let's talk this out. Wiseman, Draymond. Wagner, Curry, and Thompson. <laughs> Wagner wouldn't be playing in a playoff game. I'm just thinking of him as like I'm projecting. Could he be would he make sense as the fifth guy? Probably. Six foot what nine. If they go Kim- to get- what if they took Kaminga? Would you be back in? How about Kaminsky? I don't think the Warriors will take Kaminga. I if there's a way to bet on this, I would like to put money down on that. I don't think Kaminga <laughs> is a Warriors type of pick. I think. I think they know who they are now. Wiseman can be their one kind of not right, not quite there with the high hoops IQ yet, but maybe we can get him there. But other than that, I think they're going hoops IQ and specific high end skills to put around Curry and Clay. And we'll see if Clay comes back. All right. Any more lottery trades? I'm no, I'm going to load it up for you next week. How's that sound? KOC really likes the uh, Turkish guy. Hollinger has him fourth, and he said it might be too low. I watched the clips, and it's a, and I know Jokic was similarly bizarre, but the Turkish guy, man, those spin moves, I really have a hard time believing those are like working in the finals, like in the game we watched today, where it's like, Iso to Sengun. Oh, triple spin move into the paint. He really faked eight now. I just don't, I find it hard to believe. I wonder, he's almost better for like TikTok than he would be for an NBA Finals game. <laughs> Honestly, that's how Giannis used to be. I used yeah, to say fair. on the air, when, when Giannis first got going, I go, he's way better on Vine than he is in a game. And it turned into, you know, one of the, the best players in the league. So I'm not sure Singoon is the same projection uh, as Giannis. I've, I, did you notice how much he complains? Have you watched any full games of him yet? No, I have not. Okay. I, I told right. you, I'm not, you might I'm not, not have throwing to. myself you might not in. Have to. When the finals ends, I'm throwing myself in. I'm going to be all in, but um, I'm still, I'm still kind of into this final thing. By the way, some, some height news at Simmons' house. Uh-oh. We get a new measurement of Ben? Ben's up to 5'8". Legit 5'8 now. Where's I don't, he getting this size? He's grown eight inches since the pandemic start, started. We have size on both sides of the family, but here's the crazier thing. Zoe Simmons. Grew an inch. She's now 5'8". She grew an inch inexplicably this summer at age 16. Thought girls stopped growing at like 13. Nope. That sounds sexist. 5'8". No, girls usually stop. They, you know, once... I I don't want to get too graphic, but certain (laughs) biological changes happen and they're done. But she she is now 5'8". That's a great height. Great great height height. for athletes. Right. Good height. That means means you're Soccer, tennis, great. Grandkids are likely to be tall on that side of things. Five eight, that's a lot of height to bring to the table. Kyle, what are your thoughts of Ben and Zoe now both being five eight? I think Ben's the six footer. 
I think I think you're putting uh, you're like I don't think it's good. I'm not happy with it yet. I think you're giving too much praise. I think we're we gotta wait for a five ten around that corner. Oh yeah, we're not done. We're not done. I'm not throwing a vic- I'm not throwing a duck boat. Yeah, I feel like you're throwing your hands up a little early. I'm not. I'm, I'm just excited that he's growing. Eight inches know, is a lot in a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big big growth spirit. I was sending Rosillo uh clips of Ben at football camp. Doing the drill shirtless, which Rosillo thought was a move that he liked and respected. I know. I keep throwing this same shirt on because I walk around the house with no shirt on constantly. And I was like, oh, I got to do this pod. And I, I think I'm wearing the same shirt as the one I taped the other day. So apologies to the audience on that one. Um, the thing I like about Ben is that he's 5'8", but he had, he had, I feel like he identifies as 6'4". <laughs> he's, he's got 6'4 energy. <laughs> he's definitely he not he a Kaminga. He looked good in the drills. I like that he. I like that you keep me invested. I haven't got to see the guy in a while, but I like that you keep me updated on him. I'm just gonna um, send him to Manhattan yeah. Beach for you for like four days. Try to time it to an MMA fight, maybe a dinner with the Kings. Um, before I'll we do go, it. I got a show for you. I yeah. got a weird, weird show for you. I made you watch Mayor of Easttown. I basically put a gun to your head. You begrudgingly yeah. watched it. And no, then I didn't. A month you later, no. now, now the showrunners on your show, like now, bullshit. You're, now you're you like gave- drinking the Kool Aid, all that stuff. <laughs> You gave me three days while I was away to be like, hey, Mayor of Easttown recap this Sunday. I'm like, I haven't watched it. And there's three playoff games every <laughs> That's night. That's fair. So, okay, not only did I binge it in yeah. three days on top of the basketball when I wasn't even home for the Sunday pod, who then, who get guess who forgot to bring it up for that fucking Sunday pod? Well, I brought it up eventually, just not that Sunday. Okay, right. But now yeah. you're the showrunner on there. Inglesby's a huge fan. So, like that out. guy. Great yeah. guy. Um. New show, White Lotus. Huge fan of you, by the way. White Lotus. Oh, nice. Okay. White Lotus, HBO. Um, weird, quirky hotel show. Mike White uh, wrote and directed, and it's got a bunch of actresses that I like in it. Alexandra Daddario. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of hers. Always have enjoyed her forever. I bought stock of her. She's kind of this generation's Carlo Gugino for me. Um, she's in there. Connie Britton, Coach yes. Taylor's wife. Just um, just have season tickets for her for since whenever. Dirty and John, the, and then the Netflix. girl from the girl from Euphoria, whose name I'm not remembering, not Zendaya, but the other female star on that one. Euphoria um, scares the shit out of me. So Sydney, I'm out. Sydney, not something a- I can't remember. I think she's good too. Um, murder mystery on a, in a hotel, but we we know somebody's dead. We have no idea, and then they go backwards a week, and we just kind of dive into this week at the resort trying to figure out what's going on. Good show. Liked it. Thumbs up. White Lotus. White Lotus. Writing it down now. White Lotus. Good stuff. Um, yeah, that's all I got for you. Did, did we hit everything on our list? I think so. British Open? Not invested. I'm all draft right now. That's it. That's all I do. I'm excited that this is the only podcast where of former ESPN people not spending an hour talking about their experience at ESPN. I like to look forward at this point in my life. Maybe it's just because I'm old and I can barely remember anyone's name and my kids are growing. But it could uh, also be because you sold your company for a ton of money, too. <laughs> maybe, maybe that would, too. <laughs> that also could be. I, I still look back probably a tad more than you do. That's all right. <laughs> um, we have, we, so here's our programming for next week. We're going to be on together. Tuesday night after game six, game six, 6 p.m. 
And if it goes to a game seven, what do we do? Just go, man. I think, do game we do six. another one for Thursday? Yeah, game seven? Right? Yeah, I think Don't, we do. So yeah. we're we're with you game six and potentially if there's a game seven. I have this weird feeling there's not going to be a game seven. Can't explain it. I just feel like whoever wins game five is also going to win game six. I have no rational explanation for it, but I think that's how it plays out. I mean, the crazy thing is Phoenix still almost won this game tonight. They were up with two minutes to go. And then, you know, Middleton just took over. So, uh, you know, this if this thing goes seven, if it goes six, fine. But I don't you know. I didn't go into it being like, oh, absolutely. I know Phoenix is going to beat them. You know, it feels close. And now it's close. Hey, if you ever tear your ACL, could you tell me before a month passed? Just <laughs> yeah. give me a heads up. Yeah, I will. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, Ryan Rosillo, we can hear a podcast later this week. This podcast was produced by an awesome guy who I'm happy to be related to, Kyle Creighton. Uh, thank you as always. We will be back on this feed. I actually have one more coming this week. I, mean, I know it's weird that we did the Wednesday night, but I have another one coming this week. Rosillo does as well. Uh, stay safe. See you in about uh, 24 hours or so. <laughs>